Let's do one more mailbag this season, today on the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com. Thank you so much for making this show your first listen each day. And welcome back. Diehard fans of this show probably noticed that there was no Tuesday show this week. Let me explain to you what happened. So as I've mentioned over the last week and a half, I spent my holidays out on the West Coast with family. And I had my flight home Monday, and it was supposed to be an afternoon flight that landed in the evening on Monday. However, we had three different delays for three different reasons, and it ended up, it ended up being an overnight flight, which landed at 7 in the morning on Tuesday. So yesterday, I really could not do a whole lot. So I apologize for missing, missing yesterday's show. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We have new episodes each day, Monday through Friday, through most of the year. It's very rare in season that I miss a day, but yesterday was the rare day that I just could not do a show. But I'm back today, and we are going to have our weekly mailbag. It's our final weekly mailbag of the season, because the Jets play their final game of the season this Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Our first mailbag question today comes from Greg. Greg wrote in to me, John, going out on a limb on this one, but do you think it's possible that having a practice squad level supporting cast gave Wilson more of an incentive to go through his progressions? Young quarterbacks have a tendency to lock onto their favorite receiver and throw into tight coverage as a result. Maybe since there was no receiver worth locking onto, it made him it made it easier for him to just read the field and target whoever was open. That's an interesting theory, Greg, and I think there might be something to that because when I think back to the early part of the season, there were definitely moments where it felt like Zach Wilson was trying to force the ball to Corey Davis. Now, to be honest with you, I don't hate that. I don't hate giving a young quarterback a go-to guy because I think, especially in the early parts of a rookie season at the quarterback position, it's very difficult. You're learning so much at once. The game is so much faster. Defenses are so much more complex. Quite frankly, NFL offenses are also more complex too. So I'm a fan of simplifying the game as much as possible. And sometimes that means you have a go-to receiver and you, when in doubt, you throw to that guy. I do think, you know, that can turn into a bit of a liability. And I think there were points this season where maybe Wilson was forcing the ball to Davis when there were other guys open. I think especially in the early part of the season, this is something I noticed and something I mentioned in the early part of the season. There were moments Elijah Moore was opening and it felt like Wilson was not really looking to him. So I think with that in mind, yeah, it's certainly possible that without a go-to guy on the field, unless we're counting Barrios, Wilson now has to scan the field. And it's funny because that's one of the things I criticized the Jets for with Sam Darnold because the Jets essentially forced Sam to scan the entire field on every play. He did not have a go-to guy. So it could kind of work the other way as well. It's not always a benefit. In fact, more frequently, it's not a benefit. But beyond that, I would like to think that this is mainly, maybe there's a, an element of not having that go-to guy is forcing him to scan the field. I think that that's a good point by Greg. But I'd like to think it's more that the game is just beginning to slow down for him, where he's beginning to see the field better. Things are 
making more sense for him as he gets near the end of his rookie season, as he gets more experience playing quarterback in the NFL. I'm hoping that this is just about Zach Wilson getting better. And I have to say, I mean, that was a game I was not expecting, mainly because of the supporting cast. It wasn't even really about Zach. I just felt like he was going to have a tough time against Tampa Bay or even a week earlier against Jacksonville with the players the Jets were putting on the field. And Zach went out there and it seemed like it was no issue. So hopefully he continues to build on this. Our next question comes from Jim. Do you think that snap counts are a a sign of how the coaching staff feels about certain players? Obviously, there are aspects of the game plan and who the opponent is that come into play, but at this point in the season, you'd think the coaching staff would want to see how a few guys do out there. What does it tell us when Ronald Blair is playing a lot more than many of the bigger names on the defensive line? What does it tell us that when George Fant got hurt, they went to Chuma Edoga over Connor McDermott? Are we correct in assuming that the Shaq loss and Jared Davis and LaMichael Pirine experiments have failed? I think snap totals tell you a lot about how a coaching staff feels about players. I don't think there's any way around that. I think you have to look at the big picture, though, because for any individual game, there might be a matchup that you like or you don't like for a player, and that might impact his playing time for one week. But if you get over the course of three, four, five, six weeks, then you really get a sense of who the coaches like and who they don't, because that's the biggest part of it. Now, there are a couple of things to keep in mind here. And one of the things I think people lose track of is even within positions, there are different roles. You know, we talk about wide receiver as though it's the exact same role for every player, but there's a difference between an outside wide receiver and a slot receiver. You know, the linebacker position, depending on what your scheme is, depending on what your role is. You know, you may be a guy who goes sideline side to sideline covering tight ends, or you might be a pass rusher. And within a team, there are always players that will fill a certain role better than other players. So that's something you got to keep in mind. Is just because players nominally play the same position, they may end up playing very different roles. Because every year I hear, why is X player not playing over Y player? Well, in many of these instances, it's because the two players just... Even though they nominally may both play wide receiver, one's a slot guy and one's an outside guy. And their roles would not really intersect. And the guy who's good at one role may not be good at the other. But I think, you know, it tells you a lot about how coaches view players. One thing you always have to remember, and this is something, another thing that's easy to forget is frequently I hear somebody say, well, you know, you have to give this guy a chance. You have to give him an opportunity to show what he can do out there. You have to see what you have in this player. Here's the thing, though. The only time we see a player is on Sundays. The coaches see players every single day on the practice field. So while we may say that the coach needs to see what they have, odds are the coach already knows what they have because they see this player every single day on the practice field. And ultimately, those are kind of how those decisions are made, who plays and who doesn't. Now, does the lack of playing time mean that Shaq lost and Jared Davis and Michael P. Ryan, those experiments have failed? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious the answer is yes. I think Shaq lost is a decent player. He plays the run effectively. The other two, though, I mean, I don't think there's any other way to say it. Jared Davis was a bad signing by Joe Douglas. It was a move that was kind of a reclamation project. The Jets thought they had something in him. They thought his skills fit this defense well. They did not. And Michael P. Ryan, I mean, I did not like that pick at the time it was made. I have to be honest with you. I saw nothing about P. Ryan's game that told me he was going to be an above-average player in this league. Every single aspect of his game looked average or worse to me. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the fact P. Ryan's not getting playing time over some of these other backs, backs who really don't have great pedigrees. I mean, a couple of guys who buried on 
at the bottom of the depth chart, some guys off the practice squad seeing snaps over him. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the P. Ryan experiment has also failed. Now ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we will continue our weekly mailbag. We'll talk about whether Robert Sala should take a bigger role on the defense. And I'm sure you would like healthier eating to take a bigger role in your life because it is the new year and that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan because Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And it makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky, waxy, or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. Usually by week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? That's where Built Bar comes in, because Built Bar is covered in 100% real chocolate, and there are so many delicious flavors. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and so many more. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15, one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at Built, B-U-I-L-T, dot com. Thanks again for making Locked On Jets your first listen each day. Our weekly mailbag now continues. Our next question is from Luke. It appears to me that Mike LaFleur has shown he deserves another season as offensive coordinator. I feel the Jets should fire Jeff Ulbrich, though. Do you agree with those opinions? If you agree Ulbrich should be fired, would you like to see Salah take on the role of defensive coordinator? Because we don't know who will be available and we can't make any preferences between candidates. This question is directed at whether you think Salah being both head coach and defensive coordinator is a good idea for the Jets going forward. Well, I agree. I think Mike LaFleur has shown he's a pretty bright, young offensive mind. So I would love for him to stay, and I think he will stay. It's amazing how the perceptions on LaFleur have changed throughout the season, because after the first couple of weeks, he was maybe the most unpopular figure in the Jets fan base. And I think a lot of that was just the players, Zach Wilson in particular, not playing well. I think LaFleur was getting blamed for a lot of the stuff that was not his own fault. I think over, as the season's progressed, he's, his play calling has been excellent. He's always a step ahead, ahead of the defense, it seems. Makes a lot of creative calls. I've never seen a team more effectively use laterals than the 2021 Jets. I am very high on Mike LaFleur heading into next season. I think the defense has been bad enough that you could justify firing Ulbrich. If they want to give him another season, though, like I, I don't have a huge problem with it because, listen, there obviously were talent issues. But I also don't think you always have to fire the coach just because you have a bad season. You know, Coaches have bad seasons the way players have bad seasons. Sometimes it happens. So if they want to bring Ulbrich back, I can't go crazy with that. I know it probably would be unpopular. I know people want to see Ulbrich go. And the defense has been bad enough that I think you could justify it. If it was up to me, I probably would make a change. But I get it if they keep him. I don't love the idea of Salah being the defensive coordinator, though. It's possible, listen, some teams make it work where the head coach takes on a very prominent role on his side of the ball. But I think with the Jets, over the last decade or so, we've seen with multiple head coaches the pitfalls that come when they're focused on one side of the ball exclusively at the expense of the whole team. So I'm not crazy about the idea. I think Salah knows what he wants to do on defense, and he should hire somebody who can implement his vision. But I like the idea of having a coach who oversees the entire team just because of what we've been through with the Jets in recent years with, I mean, Rex Ryan, Todd Bowles, both of whom were really not focused on the offense at all, and then Adam Gase, who, of course, was never focused on the defense. 
even when his defensive coordinator was calling a zero blitz in the Hail Mary situation. So I, I like the idea of a head coach who runs the team. It, it can work. It, it Listen, there are plenty of examples where the head coach is kind of a glorified coordinator who focuses on his side of the ball. It can work, but my personal preference is having a coach who oversees the entire team and delegates. And I'm going to say this. I know he's going to be a very, very hot candidate. I know he'll be difficult to obtain. But the guy to go get is Vic Fangio if the Broncos fire him because he's one of the best defensive minds in football, and he has ties to Robert Sala. They worked together early in Sala's career. So that's the guy you go after, and you try you do whatever you can to land him if, he, if Denver does fire him and he becomes available. Our next question, Berrios has definitely earned himself a new contract and a place on the team next year. Are there any other players you think have established their role or earned a bigger one for next season? Well, there are a couple who come to mind. I mean, I think Tevin Coleman bringing him back as a rotational back, maybe your number three back, a veteran in the locker room, a guy who understands pass protection in a young backfield. And that's always an issue with younger backs. A lot of them have a difficult time in pass protection. Having a guy in there like Tevin Coleman who understands it, having him as part of the rotation, I think that would help. You know, if you're talking the defensive side of the ball, I don't know if Quincy Williams is really a a starter going forward. I think he's got his issues in coverage, but he's been way better than anybody would have thought he'd be. I think he's clearly got a role on this team. Maybe it's more as more of a rotational linebacker. Maybe it's more of a backup depth player. So those are the guys who come to mind for me. And I think we're really talking about role players here. We're not talking about the big time impact talents. But listen, if you're building a team and you want to get good, you have to have quality role players. And those are a couple of guys who I think can help the Jets going forward. Our next question, how confident are you in the Salad-Douglas combination at this point? Has there been more good than bad? Well, I don't think you can look at year one for Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. This is their first season as a duo and say this was a success. This was not a successful first season for either guy. I think if we're being honest, there's probably more bad than good at this point. I think this year was kind of a false start for them. I don't think that the Jets made the progress we were hoping to see them make. But listen, sometimes that happens. In some ways, I think about the season Cincinnati had last year. They were coming off being the worst team in the NFL. They had drafted a new quarterback. They had made some other upgrades. And they weren't that good last year. And part of that was due to Joe Burrow going down. But I think Bengals fans were probably very disappointed about where they were this time a year ago. And they stepped up and had a good second season. So even if your first season doesn't go well, you still have a chance to build on things. You still have a chance to fix it. I don't think right now, though, that you can look back at 2021 and say Joe Douglas or Robert Sala come out looking all that great. But they have time to change it. Hopefully next season will be better. Hopefully we'll see big steps forward next year. Now ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we will finish our Wednesday mailbag show. And now that the holidays are finished, I want to tell you about an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two or $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon or other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. 
to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Again, that's promo code TOUCHDOWN. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on our weekly Wednesday mailbag show. Our next question is about Bryce Hall. Hey, John, I have found myself increasingly frustrated with Hall. I have found he is very close to being a quality starting level corner, but he's not quite there yet. He seems to position himself with underrated athleticism, but I wish his ball tracking was better. Do you have a different impression on him? Well, I think Hall has shown that he is a quality starting level corner. I think he's probably not the type of guy you want to go into the season with as a number one corner, though. I think he's more of a second corner on your roster. But I think he's been good this year. I've been very pleased with him. I think he's been one of my pleasant surprises of the season. You know, we went into this year and the Jets were counting a lot on him. And for the most part, he held up well. Now, he had a bad game against Tampa Bay, but the Bucks have a lot of really quality weapons. So I'm not that surprised that he struggled a little bit. I don't think he's like an elite level corner. I think like one of the problems we have as Jets fans is we have so few players who are genuine success stories that we put them up and we expect too much from them. Like a Bryce Hall, it's not good enough for him to just be a good number two corner. It's like if he's not an elite corner, then we're disappointed in him sometimes. I feel like that happens with a lot of players. But I think you just have to appreciate a player for what he is. And Hall's a good starting level corner. He's a good number two guy. Now we got to get someone in here with maybe a little bit higher ceiling. If you get that guy in here, if you know, if you get go out and get a legitimate number one corner, Hall's very good as a number two. Michael Carter the second's looking good in the slot. Now we've got some pieces in this secondary. So I thought Hall had a bit of a rough game against Tampa Bay, but in general, I'm very pleased with the way he's played this season. I think for the most part, he's held up very well, and you know, he's, I think his ball tracking's been pretty good, to be honest with you. I think he's made some plays when the ball's in the air, so I, I'm pleased with the way Bryce Hall played. I think he's part of the solution going forward. Our next question, if the playoffs had been at stake for the Jets, do you think Salah kicks a field goal on fourth and two rather than going for it? I think he goes for it. I mean, I think... The game situation dictated that it made sense to go for it, no matter what your situation is in the season. I'd be really disappointed in Sal if he got more conservative with the season on the line, because sometimes to win, you have to take calculated gambles. To me, going for it is playing for the win. And when you get into like high-stakes games against elite opponents, you cannot count on that opponent to fail. I think that's one of the reasons teams get into trouble playing conservatively in playoff games. You can't count on a quality opponent to go out there and mess up. You can count on a bad team, you know, if you're playing against the bottom of the league team, then maybe you try to avoid mistakes because you can count on that team to mess up. But, I mean, are you really counting on Tom Brady to not come through in the clutch? To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I would hope he'd go for it because the same reasons that it existed on Sunday would have still applied if the Jets had been in the playoff position. You still want to keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands with the game on the line. You want to trust your offense to go out there and get two yards over Tom Brady to not come through. So I think Salah goes for it. That's my opinion. We'll never know the answer for sure, but I don't see any reason why he wouldn't have. All the reasons that existed on Sunday would still be there. And our last question, most impressive Jet and biggest disappointment for you this season, not including Zach Wilson? Well, I think Bryce Hall I'd go with. I just talked about Bryce Hall a bit, so he'd probably be my most impressive because he was such a question mark heading into the season. That And we we really did not know. Now, listen, you could have optimism on Bryce Hall going into the season, but you had not really seen it yet. You did not know for sure that he was going to be able to hold down a starting role for this team. And he did that effectively. For biggest disappointment, I would have to go with Quinn and Williams. 
And I think this year we saw that maybe Quinton Williams is a good player. I don't think you can call him a bust because he's a solid player. And he goes out there and he has the occasional big game. His sack numbers were pretty decent. But after this season, I kind of wonder, is he ever going to make good on his ceiling? Is he ever going to become the type of big-time impact player it felt like he was on his way to becoming, especially the end of last season? I have my doubts. I think that this was kind of a disappointing season for Quinton Williams. He did not really take the next step. I don't think he took. I don't think he necessarily took a step back, but he did not take the next step. And I kind of wonder: is this all he is? And listen, that's not a bad player. I think you could even make an argument. I know some people would be surprised to hear this, but if you look at the history of number three overall picks, Quinton Williams is probably somewhere in the middle. If we're talking about recent players, players picked up for the last two decades, it's probably a reasonable outcome for a number three overall pick. But he's just not the type of elite-level player that I think we all were hoping he'd be when the Jets drafted him. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a five-star review. I hope you have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.